And it all felt complicated at the time, but like, in hindsight, he, he was right, right? Like life does have a propensity to get a little bit more complicated as you go on. I still encourage people that are, that have that call to entrepreneurship, no matter the life stage, but, um, but I'm glad I took the dive then. And you're right, it was uh, admittedly scary at that time. I think I, I remember the first time I got like a $1,500 check from our first client and I felt like it was like this, I was crazy. It just like felt so real to me, so scary. And then I was like, well, so like, who do I give the check to? You know, like, <laughs> just like it all gets real, you know, like you're like, oh yeah, there's no departments for anything. Here we go. <laughs> Podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories, and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. I'm Mark Gutman, and on today's episode of Baby Got Backstory, we are talking with Bo Harrelson, the co-founder and brand strategist at Scale That and dedicated parent at the Harrelson family. Before we get into the show, here's a not-so-gentle reminder. If you like and enjoy the show, please take a minute or two to rate and review us over at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Apple and Spotify use these ratings as part of the algorithm that determines ratings on their charts. Today's guest is Bo Harrelson. Bo has over a decade of experience launching products and building brands, both big and small, including Google, Traffic and Conversion, Digital Marketer, Office Max, and many others. Over the years, he's worked with celebrities such as LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and entrepreneurs that deserve to be celebrities, doubling over 15 businesses along the way. Bo is the creative force behind all campaigns that Scale That works with, and is regularly consulted surrounding his unique approach to marketing strategy, campaign architecture, and generating traffic and conversions predictably. But what is really fascinating about Bo is his decision to put family first and build a company in life that supports that. A little side note, if you would have asked nine-year-old Mark what name he wished his parents would have chosen for him, it would have been Bo. Inspired by Bo and Luke Duke fame, but I always wanted to be a bow. Let's get back to today's bow. Bo Harrelson talks about working on the now famous Elf Yourself campaign with Office Max, what big brands really want, and how small brands can compete. And this is his story. I am here with Bo Harrelson, the co-founder and CEO of Scale That. Bo, thanks for coming on. And Let's get right to it. Uh, we're, we're both digging out of snow and dealing with snow here in Colorado, so we'll, we're running a little late. But uh, wanted to start off with a real simple thought of and question of what is Scale That? That's the name of your company. Tell me a little bit about Scale That. Yeah. Um, number one, thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be here. And, and Mark, it's been great to. I, I felt comfortable wearing a hat today because uh, I know you love a good hat. And uh, so anyway, thanks for. Thanks for that. Um, but the name Scale That ultimately came from, I've been doing uh, agency work and helping grow brands for better part of a decade plus and uh, Fortune 500 brands and everything in between. And the number one thing I see folks get wrong is they just scale the wrong thing. 
And it's not because they want, like, it's not like they woke up that day and said, you know, let me just grow my business in the wrong way. We're all well-intentioned people. But uh, one of the things I'm really passionate about is helping people find the right thing to scale. Um, it's not a matter of if people want to scale. Um, that's usually not the conversation. It's usually figuring out the right thing to grow and the right way to grow a business. And so, so getting a little bit cheeky with it, we're like, yeah, let's just call it scale that. Because <laughs> those, those are the moments we look for in conversations with folks and helping them grow their business. So we go, hey, hey, that's the thing, scale that. So taking a bit of that excitement and, and um, that's how we ended up with the name. Very cool. You know, and I think that we hear this word scale all the time, you know, scale this, scale that. I want to scale, you want to scale, let's all scale, right? But I think that much like the the genesis of your name, you know, it has different definitions. I think it means different things to different people. What's it mean to you? Like, how do you define that? Yeah, it's interesting. I think people definitely romanticize the concept of scale. I mean, you know, I think it's definitely every entrepreneur's dream to find that that predictable path to revenue is words that I hear tossed around. There's a great um, book of that title. Um written by his name escapes. And I think it was Aaron, I was going to say Rogers, but um, one of the early guys at Salesforce and talked about this idea of predictable path to revenue. And everyone kind of caught on to that idea of like, okay, if marketing can get predictable, if sales can get predictable and we can scale, then like that's the that's the the golden ticket. And and to some extent, you know, marketing has gotten to be somewhat predictable. You can you can figure out your customer acquisition costs. You can figure out some of the customer journey. But there's there's part of this lightning in a bottle that's just elusive. And I think um, to answer your question, the idea of scale to me means finding that as close as you can, finding that algebra equation, if you will, of going, okay, if we do this and we do that, it'll cost us X and the output is Y. And if we, if we do that consistently, then we'll grow and scale. The challenge is, is those inputs change marketing changes, people change. We're kind of complicated ourselves. Um, so it's an ever complex kind of um, system of variables. And then deep within that is um, the question of scale readiness. A lot of, a lot of companies will get into it and they'll find that path to scale and then, you know, they'll break. Uh, we've, we've run a lot of folks out of inventory. We've, we've broken some companies. And so I think like, part of our questionnaire as we get to know companies is, are you ready to scale? And, you know, there's assumptions within that. And, and often in fixing those things and taking a half step back, you'll find more efficient ways to scale. You'll, um, it just gets more exciting from there. But um, so I think as much as I love to talk about scale, what I love to talk, talk about is growth readiness and close proximity to that as well. Because um, that's the thing you can control. Some of those variables you can't kind of at the top of the funnel, but the things you can control is like, if you were to say sell 500 units or whatever you're selling or fulfill, have to fulfill five more contracts this, this week, would it break you? Are you ready? You know, some of that type of stuff is, is stuff that's not as romantic as romanticized, but a lot of the good answers are found within those uh, questions. Such a great answer. Thank you. And as, as I think about that, you know, I also can sense a twinge or a twang, if you will, uh, in your voice that, that suggests that you're not necessarily you, didn't, you weren't weren't born and raised here in Colorado. And so, as you were as you were growing up, uh, why don't you take us a little bit back to where you were raised and where you like? Re, did you think you'd ever be into this 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 concept of of scale and marketing and and all this kind of stuff? 
<laughs> so I was, uh, I was born in Texas, particularly West Texas, which um, everyone's on, particularly if I'm talking about getting my oil changed, it comes right out. But most, most of my accent, I think, is somewhat neutralized, but uh, to- totally depends on who I've been talking to, particularly if I've talked to my mom that day, it comes right out. But um, <laughs> Or if you're pulling uh, people then, out of snowbank uh, in a truck, right? Like then it, then it gets uh, <laughs> accentuated as well. That's right. But, um, but yeah, so I was born and if you'd read like, say my high school yearbook, it would have said like, Hey, Bo, you're going to be a great youth pastor someday. Uh, and, or you're going to be like a park ranger someday. I've always been into the outdoors. Um, I grew up in a home, um, where my folks were, um, missionaries growing up. And so by the nature of that, uh, by the time I was 13, I'd been to, I think like six different countries, all of them in very much third world environments, uh, traveled the majority of the U.S., um, just grew up and really, uh, I wouldn't say like first class traveling, um, very much a lot of places with not a lot of water, uh, had a knife pulled on me, had a gun pulled on me and those travels like had, had a lot of interesting, you know, perspectives, I think by the time I was like 13, 14. And, uh, and I didn't realize how weird it was until I compared notes with some, some of my friends and was like, what'd you guys do this summer? And they're like, we played baseball. And I'd be like, cool. I almost got shot. Um, and you know, like, was, Oh, that's different. Yeah. So I think, uh, on the other side of, you know, of that, I think, uh, as, as, as scary as some of those experiences were, I'm really, really grateful for um, some perspective it gave me on just kind of, um, I felt like I got a, a small undergrad degree in anthropology um, by nature of just getting to travel and go to places where, um, you know, uh, there wasn't electricity, there wasn't running water, you know, it just makes you grateful for for every day and, uh, and grateful for that experience as well. So pastor, youth pastor or park ranger, you are neither right now. Like what happened? Like, like, we're, 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 you know, you like, so if you it was in the yearbook and you, you came out, of, you know, you're like, I'm going to conquer the world as a youth pastor or a park ranger. What happened? Oh man. No, that's a great question. I think along the way I met a girl <laughs> and, uh, and I really, you know, like there was some of that, that was really good for me, to be honest, there was some immaturity in me early on around this context of like providing and protecting and, and figuring that out and then using some skills. Um, I saw a good movie called Amazing Grace along the way. And there's a scene with uh, William Wilberforce and, and, and it, that's pretty poignant for me, but um, he, he has an intervention from his friends and they come together and they say, Hey, we understand that you're really, really excited about like becoming a pastor in his scenario. And we understand that you're really, really also excited about becoming a politician. And uh, in his context, actually, uh, changing the the nature of the slave trade, really being one of the early forefathers of that. And his friends host an intervention. And they basically say, hey, we humbly suggest that you can do both. Like, just, just go do you. Like, go be you and pursue your interests. And you're going to, like, maybe touch some people along the way and help them out. And you're also going to, in his case, uh, change public policy uh, where he can impact people at a different level potentially than he could have maybe from behind a pulpit. And uh, so regardless of worldview, the, the, the thing that's interesting to me about that is I think that we think that our career or our worldview has to be this binary thing that we put in a box somewhere. And I had a, a literally, I, I had my friends almost intervene with me my junior year of school. And they're like, Hey dude, 
I don't know if you know this, but you're good at other things. Like you, you can actually help people out in the business world. You're halfway decent as a strategist. Like you can go do other things. And I said, well, worst case scenario, you'll try those things for a little while and I'm not good at them. And I go back to what is quote, more comfortable for me, what I grew up around and with. And uh, it doesn't sound like a terrible way to go. And so I, I, my friends humbly suggested I do both. And I sat down and, and really reflected through that. And, and since then I've been, you know, doing this thing called business and, and um, I've been recognized as being halfway decent at it along the way. So I haven't stopped yet. Um, so we'll see if one day I'll just retire into being a park ranger though. That's still the goal. <laughs> so how'd your parents feel about not carrying on the, the, the line of work? And I, I imagine they probably had a lot of hopes and dreams for you as you were thinking about being a youth pastor or, or going into kind of a similar, similar area as them. You know, I think, I think, um, overall, uh, my dad is still a great mentor of mine. And I think, uh, overall they're wildly supportive. I mean, I think that if, if I'd gone into nearly anything, they would have been pretty excited about it for me. So that, I never felt any undue pressure from them, to be honest. And they've been a part of the journey. They geek out on it when I release a new commercial or I'm part of a new project. And, uh, so I'm really grateful for the support. Cool. And so like, how did you get into marketing? You know, that, that's still like for your friends to say, Hey, like you're kind of good at this stuff, you know, to, to get actually into to marketing and start doing it. And, you know, what, what was that like? How'd you even get, get involved in this space? You had a lot of choices at that point. If, if someone says to you, Hey, you're good at business. Yeah, no, it, it's broad. I mean, I graduated a degree in communications and, and second, uh, second, uh, whatever it's called a minor in, in business from Texas A&M. And, um, and I remember I was walking to a career fair. I mean, it was just like, I was like literally my last career fair, my senior year, and I'd already proposed to my girlfriend of then three years. We were in our one year engagement period. And, you know, I was like, all right, I got to show up and, and make this thing happen. And I was knocking on doors and dialing and, you know, trying to kick kick open whatever door I could. And I ran into someone uh, at a career fair from Office Max. And I walked up and point blank said, hey, listen, I'm not a, like, I'm not a geek on office supplies. Like, but I've, I've seen some of y'all's commercials and some of the stuff y'all do. And it's interesting. And they wrote me in and before I knew it, I was on a plane to Chicago and um, met a guy named Bob Thacker. And Bob um, was the guy that brought Michael Graves into Target. And uh, Michael Graves was one of the earlier designers. There used to be this store called Kmart. And there was kind of like these big three, there's Kmart, Walmart, and Target were kind of all duking it out. And Bob Thacker brought designers into Target and brought design to the masses, ultimately through Target. And, uh, and I, and I said, I don't really candidly care about office supplies, but I want to learn from a guy like that. And so, um, at the time we wanted to move to Colorado and had opportunities out here and I punted on all of them. And I said, Hey, we're going to go do this whole thing in Chicago and give it a go. And so I went and worked at office max corporate headquarters, actually on the business side of things. And then I reported and was kind of a liaison from the business side to the marketing side. So it was representing the voice of the business to the marketers and saying, Hey, go and grow this accordingly. And I'd say where like marketing kind of hit me hook, line and sinker was um, I got to be a part of the elf yourself campaign. So I don't know if you remember this campaign, but you got to like, you pasted your face on a, a dancing elf when flash animations were a thing and, and uh, you share it with friends. So um, Bob originated that campaign along with his team and he got to be a part of that. And I was like, okay, I, yeah, this is it. This is the fun side of things. And, uh, and then that was kind of, that was it for me for marketing. And then where did that job lead you to? So you eventually, you know, you got interested in, in marketing and 
you know, you're learning from one of the best. At what point do you, you come to Colorado? Yeah. So we, so I did that for three or four years and honestly it was in the, uh, mid, mid to late well, 2008. So you can do the math, not a great year to be selling much of anything, much less like just put like discretionary office supplies and things like that. And so things did compress a bit in the market. Um, and so that was like my first run through a recession, which was, which was really healthy for me, uh, from a professional standpoint to, to navigate that. We got creative and innovative. Um, I ended up being a part of the business unit that sold store within a store within a store solutions. So if you imagine like at one point in time, Best Buy didn't have a designated Apple section or a designated like Samsung section. That was all like a new concept. And what we would do is take that similar concept and take it into say a Kroger or a Safeway and say, hey, you guys are selling office supplies. Can we just take over that run for you and uh, and do that? And so was wrapping up that, was helping sell that solution in and got used to, to kind of selling and enjoyed that part of it and uh, negotiating big deals and be a part of that whole thing and just innovative business modeling. And we were able to uh, save a few jobs. And I was like, that was, that was cool. We were able to actually put some bread on the table for the company, get some incremental funds in, in a really challenging time. And uh, around about then Office Depot went to uh, announce they were going to, were, they were actually going to buy out Office Max. And even if my number would have been called, I would have been moving to Boca Raton, Florida and uh, nothing against Boca Raton. I just, I, I was like, yeah, I think, I think this is our, our chapter change. And so I've been building a network out here in Colorado for seven years. At that point in time, I had flown out here and I'd ski a day, I'd bike a day, and then I'd go shake hands and have coffee with people out here for seven years straight, regardless of the year. I always just did, that was how I did spring break. And so called up some folks in the network out here and went to work for a, an agency out here for a little while until I got the, um, the bug for entrepreneurship. Yeah, what was that agency out here? So they're actually up in the long one, same Avocet. Um, so it's like a company that I'd interned for and so I knew them a bit and, um, and really enjoyed that part of it. Digital was happening at the same time. And a good buddy of mine named Mike Worley was, uh, and I had kind of geeked out through mutual mentors, kind of guys that were under the tutelage of Seth Godin. And we'd meet up for, you know, meet up once a month and just kind of riff on digital marketing and what was happening. And believe it or not, like pay-per-click and Google and all that stuff was still just then happening. And we were like, hey, this thing's happening at a fast pace. And he was like, hey, you want to take the dive? Like, let's just go start something on our own. And so we started an agency, uh, ran that for, uh, three or four, four years. Yep. And, uh, and then that was my first foray into entrepreneurship quickly after quickly ish after moving to Colorado. <laughs> yeah. And so like, you know, I think like, as we remember things, it's like, Mike's like, Hey, and let's start a business. And you're like, yeah, sure. But like, why did you really want to start your own business? Like why, why do that? I mean, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned you, I, I'm assuming you, you know, you have a wife at this point. I don't, I don't know of your family situation, but like, you, you know, you're, you got some responsibilities. So it's not like nothing's happening. Like, you know, why start your own business? Like why go into business for yourself? Yeah. I mean, coming from a organization of like 35,000 folks, uh, where there was like an HR department and, you know, like a, some, you know, cogs to the wheel all moving with or without me showing up. Like it was, it was an interesting thing to make that transition. And, um, I had, you know, felt life felt complicated to me at that time, but I had a good friend and another mentor, um, guy named Aaron McHugh that dropped this now, like this little nugget on me. And he said, Hey, like, to be honest, Bo, like life isn't going to get any more simple than it is right now. Like, I know you have a wife and obligations and all this type of stuff, but like, Pretty soon you might have a dog, 
like a baby, grow a family, bigger mortgage, like all the stuff. He's like, if there's a time to be risk tolerant and make a jump. And if you feel like you have like a burning, you know, sensation in your heart to like go do something and, and put your stamp on it. Like I got news for you. It's probably in this, maybe in this decade, maybe even in this like two or three year gap, while things are quote simple and it all felt complicated at the time, but like in hindsight, he, he was right. Right. Like life does have a propensity to get a little bit more complicated as you go on. I still encourage people that are, that have that call to entrepreneurship, no matter the life stage, but, um, but I'm glad I took the dive then. And you're right. It was uh, admittedly scary at that time. I think I, I remember the first time I got like a $1,500 check from our first client. And I felt like it was like this, I was crazy. It was just like felt so real to me, so scary. And then I was like, well, so like, who do I give the check to? You know, like <laughs> just like it all gets real, you know, like you're like, oh yeah, there's no departments for anything. Here we go. <laughs> Got to do it all. So, I'm, I'm the everything person. Yeah. And those words from Aaron McHugh, wow. Uh, resonate so much with me. And it's just like, you just don't realize that even when you think how complicated your life is, it just never seems to get less complicated. It just kind of keeps getting more and more complicated. So great, great advice and uh, great insight, great mentorship. That's, that's really cool. And so that business, is that when I met you and Mike the first time, like when you were in that business? That is, yeah. Up at, up at Cloud Camp, we had, uh, I'd been friends with Pete Vargas for a long time. We met um, up at one of Pete's events. But yeah, that was, I think that was year two, year three-ish for us in decline. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's when we crossed paths. Yeah, and it was my impression at that time that that business was really strongly weighted towards digital marketing, funnel building, uh, working with other partners like Digital Marketer. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that business? And did I, did I, do I have that right? I want to make sure I re, I'm retelling that a little, a little right. Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, so we, I would say we were heavily influenced by HubSpot and some of their methodologies in terms of like, uh, there's a big content marketing push at that time, which is great and still is a, a valid marketing strategy. But we paired that with paid media and that was kind of like the, the perfect Venn diagram of going, okay, that's great that you can create content, but how do you amplify it? And then what's the creative behind it? And so that was, I think, what that linchpin between I had a house rule, which is if you're going to spend, you know, a thousand dollars creating content, then you probably should at least from a one-to-one ratio spend a thousand dollars sending that content out, right? Proliferate, like actually like sharing that content through paid ads, through whatever. And it's not a perfect rule, but it ended up being a good rule um, because a lot of folks that were just in the content marketing game at that point in time didn't fully understand the power of paid ads and advertising and amplifying that content. And so we... I think we quickly moved up in the rank amongst our peers in terms of like understanding and how to, how to create and amplify a funnel. Also under the tutelage of, you mentioned a digital marketer uh, under the tutelage of Ryan Dyson and, and uh, Richard Lindner and the crew there. Um, so we kind of met up with them midstream throughout that and uh, drank a ton of the digital marketer Kool-Aid. And I'm glad I did. It was, it's been uh, impactful for me in my career. Went on to have an opportunity to support them from the paid ad side of things and actually run their um, ads for them uh, in a later chapter and really form a long, long-term relationship with those guys. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll, we'll fast forward a little bit. I know that you had tremendous success at this company, which was called Climb, C-L-Y-M-B, right? Is that the way it's spelled? Correct. Yeah. 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 I just really had, a, yep. had the Y, so it threw me off, right? And, uh, and your, your partner, uh, you and Mike, I, I think Mike 
uh, went off to do something else. You guys, you guys separated, but in, on good terms. And he went off to do something else, and you continued to to grow the business. And then, and then you you sell the business. What happened there? Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. So at the end of year four, uh, we had an opportunity unsolicited. Actually, we had three opportunities coming on the business at the same time, and uh, and and of just people saying, "Hey, we love what you guys are doing. We want to we want to buy it. We want to acquire it. We want to partner. Whatever." And um, we weren't hunting or shopping for any of this at the time. I'd read a, a book by John Warlow called Built to Sell early on, which I highly recommend it if you're creating anything and need to like, if you're a creative a bit like me, it'll drag you into systems thinking, uh, which is great. And uh, and so I had read that book, but kind of had like tucked it away and all of a sudden had to pull that book back out and go, what do we do? And so Mike and I looked at each other. We had one of the opportunities uh, was from a company down in Texas. And, and I love Texas, born in Texas, um, but I just wasn't in a hurry to make a, a transition back there. I'd worked pretty hard to get here in the state of Colorado and raise a family out here. And uh, and so that was the, that was the small minute detail that kind of introduced this idea of like, okay, well, like we graduated our college in entrepreneurship. We've been, we've been doing this for four years. Like, cool, it's our senior year. So, um, so. Or excuse me, Mike and I um, had that conversation, and uh, like you said, parted amicably. And he ended up to go work work with that company down in Texas for a little while, and, and that was great. And and I um, took over complete ownership of Climb, and ran it for a good another six to nine months, something to that effect. And one of those other um, suitors, if you will, continued to pursue me in that in that gap of time, and uh, and that was a local creative agency out here in Boulder called Human. And uh, human ultimately acquired Climb. I think six to nine months past that that four year mark, where where Mike and I separated, and it was again like I didn't. I think I'd had a dress rehearsal through of like what the whole acquisition could look like, and uh, and got a taste of what the main act could look like, and uh, and really could see acceleration through through acquisition as part of my journey at the time. And I'm really glad that uh, I I stepped through that door. Um, yeah, and and got through those conversations and had an exit, and uh, and you know I think uh, it's not as common in the service industry, but I could write a, at least two or three chapters of a book on like what I learned going through it, and uh, and I'm really glad I did, and um, was able to you know um, go through that process and provide for my family and get some level of uh, you know like an exclamation point on you know four years of. 60 and 80 and sometimes 100 hour weeks of just kind of pushing and working hard. This episode brought to you by Wild Story. Wait, isn't that your company? It is. And without the generous support of Wild Story, this show would not be possible. A brand isn't a logo or a tagline or even your product. A brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room. WildStory helps progressive founders and savvy marketers build purpose-driven brands that connect their business goals with the customers they want to serve so that both the business and the customer needs are met. This results in crazy, happy, loyal customers that purchase again and again, and this is great for business. If that sounds like something you and your team might want to learn more about, reach out at www.wildstory.com and we'd be happy to tell you more. Now back to our show. Yeah, 
Yeah, you, you said you learned a ton. If you could share one thing uh, that you, you learned out of, out of that experience, what would it be? Or what do you share most often with people? Yeah, um, I mean, there's the really tactical stuff of like legal setups and all those types of things, which I think you can, you can Google and find out and, and happy to do that. But more on like a, a philosophical level, I think the, the, the way I learned this lesson was by nature of our, the birth of our first kiddo. So he, uh, Eli was born about two years into uh, a four-year stint, if you will, as an entrepreneur. And he was born two months early. And so we spent six weeks in the hospital with him and uh, it was a really intense six weeks, right? Like, uh, you know, I could answer emails sometime at 10 o'clock at night and it was, you know, we literally lived in the hospital with him. And, um, and it was really, really humbling because I came out of that experience and thought, man, I built this business for it to survive with me being in the room 60% of the time. And I can't be in the room 60% of the time. Like, even if I want to, like there's life circumstances that come up. And so I sat down and I wrote out all the things that I did on a week to week basis. And I literally just was like, okay, what are that? Can I delegate, operationalize, form, put a process around? And what are that's like the top 20% that like absolutely requires the, the me being in the room moment. And I cut out about 40% of what I did and I operationalized it as best I could with Mike coming out of the hospital. And if I hadn't have done that, I don't think we would have ever exited, to be honest, because like it just would have been a, a talent acquisition and not like a company acquisition. And um, by nature, building those processes and they weren't perfect to begin with, but they got better and better and we got better and better. We actually had something that was acquirable that people were interested in. And I think I had to lower some pride, right? I like to I like to be the Don Draper. I like to come in with creative ideas. I like to be that guy, and I think I have a knack for it. But but if that's the twenty percent, then like, what's the other eighty percent that that is necessary, but not, you know, maybe a necessary evil is, you know, to like to that, and actually takes away from those creative moments or takes away from those impactful moments. And how can we, you know, so anyway, I could wax and wane on about that for a long time, but I think I'd encourage you wherever you're at, uh, no matter the business stage, I read a book, um, called essentialism, uh, man, uh, Greg McEwen. There it is. If you read the first chapter, it's great, but it just talks about the idea of writing yourself out of the job, out of a job and doing only the stuff that you're the best at and, and delegating the best as the rest as best you can. Um, so even if you're ever going to exit or not, it's good practice. It's a good thing to get used to and a good, good, good audit. Um, and I'm glad that by nature of circumstance, I had to go through that audit the hard way. Um, so do it the easy way. <laughs> Don't end up in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. And thanks for sharing all that. And I want to make sure we get to probably one of the more pivotal moments of your life and your career. And so you've, you've exited, you've been acquired by human, at least from the outside. I'm, you know, and I, I followed it. I, I was watching, I was like, how awesome is that? Right? Like you, 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 you then like get elevated into some pretty sweet clients and, and opportunities some big name clients that I'll let you talk about if you want, but I'm looking at it like how cool is a strategist and a brand builder and a marketer, what an amazing opportunity you exited into a really cool hit Colorado uh, ad agency and, and brand building uh, agency. But then, you know, life 
didn't get any less complicated for you, did it? Sure. No, and I think like success is iterative. I think that people think that success is this like, man, if I could just like buy a Lamborghini one day, that would be like the marker of success for for some people. Like some, and that's great, man. If that motivates you, fast cars are cool. I get it. Like, go for it. But I think like your definition of success can change every six months if it needs to. So, you know, I'll start with kind of the, uh, so I ended up at human for, I think two years. And, um, I think week one, I found myself like on a plane up to like Nike headquarters and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, okay, here we go. And I'd work with some like fortune 1000 brands call it, but not like fortune 50 or not like fortune 100. And I was like, Oh, okay. All right, here we go. And, um, so I bought a new pair of shoes, which is a good idea. And, you know, like, just like, you know, all of a sudden we were, but it was, what was ironic about the whole thing is that the conversations weren't that dissimilar of early stage startups. And I'll leave you with, I'll, I'll leave one concept, one, one footnote of this whole experience is that the secret of, of what I think of working with big brands is that small brands want to be big and big brands actually want to be small. And so like, there's this interesting, like kind of triangulation between these two things I saw and getting to work with small and big. And actually, I think that's pretty cool. But if you're a small brand listening, and if you, you know, maybe you're a challenger brand, or you're just kind of like in that early stage of creating that momentum, your greatest advantage is the fact that you're small. It's that you're nimble, that you can create these amazing relationships with your customers um, early on. And that's going to, what's, that's going to be what creates raving fans. And the secret that the big guys don't tell you is that they actually are kind of like jealous might be the wrong word, but they, they, they study you. And that's why you have these acquisitions of like Hormel and Justin's nut butter or watch dollar shave club and what they've done over the last five to 10 years, they were a challenger brand not too long ago. Uh, Harry's while we're talking about shaving has taken over like four feet of space and target. They started as a D to C brand, but you know, I think, Small is new, big, big is new, small, have fun with that one. But like, I think that was the thing I learned is that I could take these small brand strategies, help them apply, uh, apply them to the bigger brands and get them super excited about that. And, and here's the, the, the one thing that was ultra excited about that is that we could take some of those bigger brand budgets and apply those smaller challenger um, strategies to them and create uh, a bit of jet fuel behind that success. So short story long, had the opportunity to work with, I mean, World Expo in Dubai, um, had the opportunity to inform a bit of uh, the strategy behind the brand launch with LeBron James, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lindsey Vaughn, and uh, Cindy Crawford, and got, found myself in this really like interesting brand strategy role, uh, along with marketing uh, in, in, in those hallways. And that was great. Here's the deal. I was in those hallways for a long time. And that's not a knock against the the brand specifically the, the this agency specifically I, I i have good friends across the agency environment and the hours are not normal hours and and a lot of that's just because a lot of folks and agencies care they care about those brands they're gonna they're gonna put in the hours to make sure that they show up it is a competitive environment there's about fifteen thousand small to mid-sized agencies in the u.s uh there's probably about 100 to 200 omnicom level broader bigger agencies and every one of them um, that I've, I've, you know, that I've had the opportunity to interact with, uh, you know, in the trenches are all working dang hard. And I've got an amazing amount of respect for that. But to tee out the second part of that conversation, which is the transition of like how to my version of success, 
my professional journey has been marked by my kids in a good way. Um, but we got news at the 20 week appointment for our second kiddo that she was going to be born with spina bifida. Um, and there's a lot of different types of spina bifida. Hers was, uh, on the uh, spectrum of, of good to bad or like menial to like not great. Hers is more on the, the not great side of things. Uh, so doctors looked at us in the eye and said, Hey, there's 80% chance she's going to be born with some, some level of, um, cognitive, cognitive issues and or hydrocephalus. She likely won't walk. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough journey. And they asked us, they're like, do you want to go on this journey? And I, and I was like, are you asking what I think you're asking? Like, yeah, and we're in we're like without hesitation. My wife and I, like, we definitely cried at the diagnosis. We had our moment and worked through that and still are working through that, but we're, we're in. Right. And, and I'm kind of all in or all out type of guy. And, and, uh, and so uh, let's see here. 20, da, 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 da. It's like 15 weeks later, 15 to 16 weeks later, she was a little bit early. We're on the roller coaster. Wife goes in labor. Uh, we had just seen, we'd just been in for um, an ultrasound that day. So I, I saw Emmy in the womb the day she was born. And, uh, and I, I actually asked the doctor, I was like, hey, real talk. If Jenny goes into labor tonight, what do I do? Like we're in an at-risk category. We live 45 minutes from children's, which is where the baby like birth needs to be born with all the help and support of all that. Or we're like 20 or 30 minutes away from you. And, uh, and she was like, if you can push it the extra 15 minutes, you'll avoid being on a helicopter and your daughter will avoid being on a helicopter, like, and being separated from mom. And I was like, yeah, well, like, that sounds great. So literally that night, Jenna went into labor it's like 20 degrees out. Uh, if you live here in Colorado, you appreciate this, but there's E470 and it's a toll road, thankfully. And, uh, and so I pushed it 115, 120 miles per hour on that thing and made that drive in like 25, 30 minutes. And, uh, and Jenna was, um, I won't get into specifics, but she, she was, it was, it was time it, that Emmy was nearly born in the car. So Emmy was born, had a surgery on her spine uh, within 24 hours and then hung out in the hospital for another nine days. And my life changed forever in the best of ways. And, uh, and with that, my career needed to change a bit too. But I, I knew that at that moment, you know, from a priority standpoint, in order, I wanted to be a great husband. I wanted to be a great dad. And if I had to be a quote, a good businessman, that was okay. I'd rather be like, I'd rather not be a great businessman and a good husband and a good dad or maybe potentially bad dad because I don't run out of hours. And so I reprioritize completely and I don't regret a single bit of that, but I was working 80 hours a week at the time. And I just literally just started working 35 hours a week and hit my numbers and doing my things. And it became apparent that, you know, I needed to be in the trenches. We all needed to be working on those light, late night pitches together, et cetera. And I wasn't going to be that guy anymore. And, uh, and so I just gracefully exited stage left and that was, that was kind of our departure. And I don't regret a bit of that because I think a lot of people would say, Hey, like pursue the thing hustle. Like I love Gary Vee. I've had the opportunity to meet him and talk to him about work-life balance. And, and he, he actually is an inspiration for me in the context of I've asked him point blank. I said, Hey, what would slow you down? And he said, if I had a medical need, or if there was something going on with my family that required me to be home, I said, Thank you. Thank you. I, I didn't need his validation, but hustle culture can, I think, 
get to, uh, turned up too too high. And so um, I turned my volume down and that's been a good transition for me on the back end of that. So that was a bit long-winded, but that's, that's been my, my journey. Uh, we can kind of end on the current chapter if you like, but uh, any questions on that, on that part of the journey? Yeah, no, I'd love to get into it uh, way deeper. We are running tight on time. I know that you have to uh, run along here. And so what I'd love for you to do is just uh, let us know, you know, what's next for, for Bo and scale that? Like, what are you looking forward to? What are you most excited about right now? Yeah. Um, so, uh, join forces with uh, a good long-term friend of mine, um, named Alex Turnden about two years ago now. And, uh, we played to our strengths, right? So he's really good at paid media. I'm, um, pretty good at creative. I've had the opportunity to shoot, shoot national commercials and Facebook ads and all the things. And, uh, and we said, Hey, what would, what would success in this chapter look like? He'd exited the agency prior as well. And so we kind of, you know, met up classic thing, got out of the napkin and, um, and we said, Hey, let's just take on a half dozen clients a year, um, that have our cell phone number and let's take really good care of them and say no to anything above that. And so we've got five or six private clients, private in the context that I can't share with you. I can share with you like one or two of their names. Um, but I'm under NDA where I can't for the others. And we spend, you know, three to $5 million plus on advertising a month for those guys and take really good care of them. And when they have creative needs and when they have other stuff that's coming up and business strategy stuff, we advise on those um, and take good care of folks as best we can. And so that's been a privilege to step into that. Um, it's right size. I get to be a dad. I get to be at therapy appointments. I get to be, you know, um, I've got taking our oldest to gym here in a minute. And, and that's, I mean, that for me is my definition of success. Ferrari or no Ferrari, I'm plenty happy with that. And, and we're moving the needle for, for folks and uh, taking good care of our clients. And it's just been great. So I think there was like a, how can we help kind of nature of that? Or what's kind of what's, what's within that? So the business model is pretty simple. Take care of a half dozen folks. Um, we're moving into uh, consulting with whatever extra hours we have. Um, so we're taking a group of clients that um, quite honestly, wouldn't be initial great fits for our direct service model. And we're going to do some on, uh, ongoing coaching for folks that just need uh, high level support, um, but have people in house to help execute. Um, so we'll be unveiling that in the next probably 30 or 45 days. And then we built out some software in the background that helps people buy um, ads more effectively and efficiently and took parts of Alex's brain and a bit of mine and had that all coded up. And so we'll be selling that software. Um, again, it's just about replicating what you can. And, uh, and then we're kind of in a, a, a mindset that if we don't share some of the success that we've been able to create for clients, it's actually, and I mean this with, with no ego, but I had a good friend that was like, Hey, it's kind of selfish not to share. You should start sharing how you help people and that will help other people help other people. And I was like, great. Yeah, you're right. You win. Um, so we're, we're kind of pivoting to like actually starting to share some of these stories that have, you know, typically been hidden in conference rooms and boardrooms of, you know, fortune 100 companies. And, uh, I'm excited to start sharing that a bit more and sharing, um, how to, how to make that impact. Great. Well, make sure you let us know how we can help you share that where our listeners can find access to that or get more information or enroll in that, uh, in the ability to receive those stories. And Bo, as we come to a close here, you know, I'd like you to think back to that, that boy in high school who's weighing the, 
the idea of being a youth pastor or a park ranger. And what do you think he'd say if he saw you today? Hmm. He'd probably tell me to rest a bit more. <laughs> but I think he, I think he'd <laughs> he'd also say like. Um, you know, everything in its season is probably a good way to summarize that is like, Hey, like that's, that's great. Young Bo that you have this, these, these, this, like your heart is excited about these things, be it cause oriented, be it like playing outside. But like, I think I've come to this conclusion that like everything has its own little season, like, you know, it dumped on us this weekend and people were like, did you go skiing? And I'm like, no, man, I was hanging out with my two-year-old. Like that's fine. And I was happy to be. Um, so I think a lot of people want success now and they, they define it in a certain way, but I think you can, you can do both. And I think you can be patient and have your definition of success in its own season. And I think to be patient in that and to be discerning in that and to readjust and calibrate for that is probably what I would say to the young buck sitting there with this yearbook open. It was just like, Hey, be patient, man. And, uh, pursue things fully, but like be patient and don't pursue it all at once. And that is Bo Harrelson, co-founder of Scale That. I've been following Bo's career over the years, and in typical Bo fashion, he was very humble and understated about all the brands he's worked with and his successes in the marketing space. Maybe we can get him back on the show for a round two brag session. There were so many nuggets in this one, But two that stood out to me, everyone finds their success in their own season. That is so true. And I think that if we just let that hang and resonate for a moment, you'll feel how impactful that insight is. And the other big standout idea was that big brands really want to be like small brands. And small brands have all the opportunity as they are adaptable and nimble. You hear that, small brands? Go out there and kick some big brand butt. A big thank you to Bo Harrelson and the Scale That team. I love your order of priorities, and it is inspiring to hear how our business lives can be prioritized if we only ask, can I delegate this? We will link to all things Bo Harrelson and Scale That in the show notes. And if you know of a guest who should appear on our show, please drop me a line at podcast at wildstory.com. Our best guests, like Bo, come from referrals from past guests and our listeners. Well, that's the show. Until next time. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. I like big stories and I cannot lie. You other storytellers can't deny. 